In this episode, Laura Logan on Socialism in America. Welcome to another Real American Heroes special edition. I'm Oliver North, and our guest today, Lara Logan. Her candid reporting has earned her prominence among the world's best foreign correspondents. In her role on CBS 60 Minutes, Lara Logan's helped us understand human conflicts around the world, including Pakistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Israel, Palestine, Egypt. She lived in Iraq for five years, the height of the war, and when U.S. troops entered Baghdad in 2003, she was there. Lara has earned numerous awards for her journalism, including three Emmys, nine nominations for Emmys, and the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award. Her latest venture is her new in-depth investigative series, Lara Logan Has No Agenda on Fox Nation. Her new season features four episodes on socialism in America and premieres on September 14th, which is why I wanted to talk to her today. Lara, thank you for taking time to join us. Thank you for having me. So, Lara, socialism, I mean, for heaven's sakes, why, why socialism in your new season? Well, you know, it's a really interesting question, um, especially because when it was first proposed, I thought, oh, well, you know, that's kind of interesting. But then right as we were about to start um, shooting and putting the episode together, yeah. the streets went up in flames and socialism suddenly went from being something that was insidiously sneaking into the American way of life through the political structures and uh, different policies um, throughout the country, especially in some, a place like California, that suddenly it became front and center. You know, ideas that really were uh, very, very radical a few months ago were, are now being uh, discussed by mainstream politicians and actually have been um, acted upon. Um, in big cities like Los Angeles and New York, things like, you know, abolishing the police, right? I mean, uh, a few months ago, uh, people would have thought that that was ridiculous and, and insane and, and not even a remote possibility. Now, the entire Minneapolis Police Department has actually been defunded by the city council. Uh, Los Angeles has slashed their um, police budgets, so has New York, so have other places, and nobody is uh, blinking an eye. In fact, the movement is still growing. Well, I, I look at what's transpiring today and say, we've, we've lost our minds. I mean, the bottom line of it is if you don't have, when you dial 911 and they put you on hold and you've got criminals breaking into your property or committing horrible acts, I mean, look at what some of the stuff that Antifa's been doing. Antifa would be a socialist organization, to put it kindly, in the era of the they'd Bolshevik. They'd be the militant president. army of the socialists. Yeah. They'd be the brown shirts and uh, you know of Hitler right. and the black shirts of Mussolini, the enforcers, right? right. They would be the police. They yeah. want to get rid of the police force because they'll be your police. Them and the big tech companies surveilling you. What's this mean in how it affects this upcoming election in, what, 50-some-odd days? Well, it means everything because, in fact, if you um, look at uh, Antifa's propaganda, they've been uh, putting out bulletins and sending out the word for everybody to um, converge on Washington, D.C. and help in the siege of the White House that is supposed to begin on uh, September 17th and to continue for 50 days. Um, and if you look at what does that do, well, it takes you um, through the election, right? And uh, the idea really is that uh, regardless of the election result, 
Donald Trump cannot stay in power. And Antifa are the, you know, the army on the streets that's going to make sure that that um, happens. They're only one part of the strategy, but they're a very um, important part because they're right there in front of the cameras. They're creating the impression of civil uh, disobedience and civil unrest. Um, they're creating, they're furthering, you know, the propaganda narrative that um, the, the, the government has lost the support of the governed, right? right? And so therefore the government has to be removed. And of course, in this case, the, the government is Donald Trump and his administration. But this is going to go far beyond uh, Donald Trump and his administration. Their plan is a long-term one. It's really a fight for absolute power. And they have no intention, once they take power back, um, you know, they, they don't have any intention of ever seeing it swing between left and right, Republican, Democrat ever again. This is it forever for them. Looking at, looking at the nexus of, of anarchists with people who do believe in social justice, it seems to me there's an education that's absolutely necessary for the young Americans who are participating in this activity to stop, take a breath, and that's not going to happen in the next 50 some odd days. You know, I think you hit on what is probably if you could say the single most important thing, to me, it is the single most important thing because it is so deceptive and so sinister. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. You have um, what really looks like a radical agenda out on the streets being carried out by Antifa, but that agenda and um, the tactics that they're using are replicated throughout our society right now. Um, through the economic, uh, you know, the, through the environmental movement, the LGBTQ uh, movement, the um, movement for prison reform, for uh, voter reform, for, you know, um, any form of social justice is really being molded as um, in, 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 according to these civil society organizations, um, such as Momentum, which wrote the doctrine on guiding the resistance, um, Indivisible, which is another one of them, um, the uh, OFA of the Obama Alumni Association. They are the, they basically provide the blueprint for these revolutions. It's all it was really the father of all of this was the Sunrise um, uh, Movement and the Color Revolution, and um, all of these organizations are carrying out the same uh, system of revolution just in the name of a different form of social justice but really they're fighting for the same thing each one of them wants to destroy um, whatever exists and create a new order based on that ideology so you have really um, a whole series of different movements covering all different things that are seeking to change fundamentally change the american way of life so the lgbtq movement for example um one of the things that that they've been doing is something called drag queen story hour now you say those words and you know you sound a little bit like a crazy right winger right what, what are you talking about and why do you have a problem with drag queens and aren't you being sort of homophobic and offensive well no it's got nothing to do with that but why do you need the american library association to um, put drag queens in public libraries and read stories to young children. I, I was a mom in Washington, D.C., where there's more working mothers than any other state in the nation. And so the story hour at the public libraries is very important to all of us. You know, if we couldn't make it, you had a family member or a, a nanny or someone who took your children there. Why do you have to have drag queens 
um, in the libraries reading to young children. What is that really about? What is at the core of that? And if you object to that, um, you know, what happens to you is that right. you get uh, canceled, right? You get eviscerated, right. yeah. you get targeted, you get annihilated and destroyed, and you get dismissed as being a terrible, terrible, terrible person. So no one's allowed to even talk about it. Well, that is just one tiny example of what's happening. And these organizations like Momentum, where do they go to teach this craft of how to start your own rebellion or your own revolution or your own social justice movement? They go to the high schools. Well, They're in also, the high schools. It, it also seems to me that, that one of the things that I thought Donald Trump did a good job at, in, in creating jobs, he gave dignity to work. In other words, it wasn't just the matter of the fact that you could put, show the unemployment numbers dropping or the employment numbers for minorities increasing. And then along comes COVID-19, and it's suddenly the same people who had just gotten jobs. And some of, the, some of the reports, for example, of black men finding work went back to the families that they created, whether they were married or not, and walked home proudly carrying a check. And all of a sudden, come February, March of, of this, this year, that job is gone. And so an awful lot of what Antifa and some of these very radical movements have created has been done because work is gone. I mean, tens of millions of people out of work that weren't before, that had gone, back, gone to work. And so does, do things get better? I mean, as you're, as you're making this series, do things get better for, if you will, the remarkable experiment that we have in this country after we have some kind of vaccination against, against COVID? Do things get better? Well, it's interesting that you raise that particular point because on a tactical level, not a strategic one, just tactically speaking, um, you why? how have you been able to sustain these protests and riots for so long? They want you to believe the propaganda is it's because of the depth of social outrage right, and the depth and scale of the problem because now the whole system, all of us are racist, whether we know it or don't know it. But really what they uh, what the pandemic created was uh, the ability to sustain it. Because what normally happens with any kind of protests or demonstrations or riots is they happen over the weekends because come Monday morning, people have to go to work. Well, it just so happens this began when? In the midst of a pandemic, which put massive numbers of people in their homes with nowhere to go and nothing else to do. And now here comes, whether it's um, Antifa or the political organizations, the civil society organizations that are backing them, and they're offering you uh, money to go out there. They're offering you uh, money to travel. They're giving you something to do, and they're um, also giving you a purpose. Mm -hmm. So, and that enables them to recruit people who um, really act as shields for the true agenda here. And some, you know, some would even uh, say that you need to take a closer look at exactly what are these incidents that are sparking um, these protests, because um, many of them happen in, in very unusual circumstances. I mean, George Floyd's um, death on camera or alleged murder to many people, I mean, was, was unusual even to policemen who said it turned their stomach watching. Uh, what they saw, right? Well, so we haven't even begun to have that conversation. But what you also have in terms of the pandemic and, and in terms of jobs is you've hit on uh, the ideology here because in Antifa's abolitionist ideology, what they one of the things that they demonize is work. Work is bad. 
Because why? Because America is not a country, it's a plantation. And workers are slaves. And they're slaving away while you, as you know, the big overlords, the wealthy, are exploiting them. And so the very act of working that's been at the at the cornerstone of what it is, you know, the American what built the American dream, right? It's built on hard work. That is now a bad thing because work is synonymous with slavery. And in the the state and the world that they envision for this country, you you don't own any property at all. So you don't own any businesses. You don't own any property. Land is a living thing. So then you come to the nexus with the environmental movement, right? Land is a living entity and it cannot be owned. In fact, it's there's something evil in even talking about ownership of land. And look how this is now creeping into the pandemic and mainstream um, you know, political structures in the US. Not that the CDC is supposed to be political, but who just recently um, took over uh, the whole issue of rent and landlords. The CDC just said, uh, no one is allowed to be evicted. We're taking this over because people are in their homes because if you if you push them out of the, their, these uh, homes that they can't pay their rent on, they're going to spread uh, COVID and it's going to make the pandemic worse. Therefore, we're, we're stepping in here and we're saying landlords cannot evict anybody. So now you're one step closer because now the Center for Disease Control is dictating an economic policy and a political policy and et cetera, et cetera. And nobody even noticed. Nobody even blinked an eye. Since Laura, when does the CDC dictate these these things? Laura, who's, who's paying for the air flights for the vandals, the arsonists, the anarchists, the Bolsheviks, who is paying for, th th this is not an inexpensive endeavor. Who's behind it? No, it costs millions and millions and millions of dollars. Well, so um, it's a very good question, who's behind it? And I do have a strong sense of that. But what I will tell you is that um, there are two main pillars of funding for these movements. And one is through, you know, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, that kind of thing, through an app called um, Act Blue. So it's pretty much like the PayPal of the left, of the progressive left. And the money is being sent and raised through them, and Act Blue distributes it to uh, various, you know, progressive mm -hmm. movements and causes and politicians and leaders. And that's sort of the, like the practical grassroots arm of this. On the other side of it, you really are looking at a network of um, 5013Cs, of basically charitable foundations, who are laundering money in the name of social justice and in the name of democracy. And it goes from one charity to the next to the next. And, you know, I mean, I, I can't even say the name of where many of those lead to. One is the Ford Foundation that isn't talked about uh, very much. Um, but they are right there at the center and at the heart of much of this funding. And another one is uh, the Open Society Foundation. But if you say that name, oh, you know, that's the kiss of death, right? I mean, I just slit my own throat because they're coming for me. And they have a lot more uh, resources and a lot uh, more power, time, money. They have everything I don't have. And they have information dominance. Because what does that mean? They control the information space. So most of the media are ideologically in line with uh, their with them, um, or they now have a vested interest in seeing them 
prevail. Um, and they have political operatives operating throughout the media. So you literally have media organizations in this country who think nothing of quoting Media Matters for America, which is the propaganda arm of the strategy that, that we've just been discussing. And uh, and somehow the New York Times is okay with that, which is just inexplicable to me. I want to I want to send you a copy of a book that my publishing company just put out. It's coming out next week, uh, called America's Number One Adversary, and you can then do a series on that because uh, I am of the belief that the PRC, the People's Republic of China, People's Republic of China, and of course their vaunted leader, are in, indeed behind a good bit of this stuff. So I want to thank you for making time to be with us today, and I look forward to having you back because you've given us, I think, a lot to to think about, a lot to act on, and of course, changing our political process, doing away with things like the, the Electoral College, or, or affecting the outcomes of mm -hmm. small businesses that no longer can survive, or f small family farms, all of which you're touching about in this series is fascinating. And I encourage everybody to make sure that they watch and, and, and you know, go to Fox Nation and look for Laura Logan, who has no agenda, but she's really good at it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Folks, if this Real American Heroes special broadcast has been informative, helpful, or encouraging, take time now to subscribe and let me know how these unprecedented events have affected you and yours. By so doing, you'll become part of this historical record of how America persevered and hopefully once again prospered. Until next time, remember, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life.